You're listening to Trek FM. Ship's Log Supplemental. Lieutenant Uhura recording. Due to Chief Engineering Officer Scott's euphoric state of mind, I am assuming command of the Enterprise. I accept full responsibility for my action. A detailed account will be recorded later. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. Here today with me are crew members Jara. Hello. Andy. Hey, everyone. And Grace couldn't join us tonight, but we have with us special guest and host of Saturday Morning Trek, Aaron. Hello. And Aaron is here because we're going to talk about the animated series. Yay! But first, we'd like to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon. The Patreon is what allows us to do things like upgrade equipment, host a website, and every little bit helps us to to continue to help grow the show and spread the word. If you'd like to help us out on Patreon, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash women at warp. And we also have... A few announcements. The entire crew will be at Star Trek Las Vegas this year, as we've said in previous episodes, and we'll be hosting a meetup, more details to follow. But we also have a lot more conventions coming up this season. I will be at the end of August, I will be at Star Trek 50-year mission Cherry Hill, and then Andy and I will be at Dragon Con. Andy and Grace will be at Geek Girl Con, and I will be at New York Comic Con. So we're going to be all over the place. Oh, also, actually, I'm going to be at Montreal Comic-Con also on the weekend of July uh, 8th, 9th, and 10th. I'm for sure going to be there on the 9th. I'm not sure whether I'm going the 8th or the 10th as well. Still figuring out exact details, but uh, if you are going to be at Montreal Comic-Con, then flip us a message on Twitter or Facebook and I'll see if we can connect. Totally. And I'll be doing a panel with with Amy, who has been a guest on the show at Cherry Hill. And Andy, you and Grace have a panel at Geek Girl Con. Yeah, we do. It's going to be about how to keep long running franchises fresh, which I don't know, maybe Star Trek is a little bit relevant for. So uh, we're excited. We're going to have fun there. One thing that I wanted to talk about before we jump into the discussion of uh, some standout characters and episodes in the animated series was back in our episode on DC Fontana, we talked a lot about her role in the animated series. And uh, Erin, by the time this episode comes out, you will have just released a Saturday Morning Treks interview with DC Fontana, which is super exciting. So I was wondering if you just like super briefly wanted to talk about what you think her significance was to the animated series. Well, she basically was the the showrunner and associate producer. So as as much as Brian Fuller is going to be the the voice of the new series as Gene Roddenberry was with the original series, she was that voice of the animated series. So even though, you know, Gene was involved, he wasn't there in the day-to-day. Uh even though you know, filmation was involved, they were involved more from the production standpoint. But she was the one who brought in the writers, brought in the the point of view. So I, that that's I don't know if you can get any more important than that, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she brought in a lot of really amazing, talented uh, writers. Some who had already written for the original series, and some who had wanted to, but maybe their concepts were a bit too big to produce right. in live action. And uh, I know that. You know, I was watching the special features on the TAS DVDs, and 
one of the things that she and other people who worked on the animated series really take exception to is this idea that the animated series is like less than other Star Trek and non-canon. I'm assuming this is something you hear a fair amount. <laughs> yes, there there was the, the canon issue actually comes down to a matter of licensing for a very brief period of time, like at the beginning of Next Generation till when the Gene uh, Roddenberry's lawyer left the show and, you know, kind of around the time that he was moving off of, of TNG uh, just for health reasons. And that's when it came back. It just it was just a, a licensing issue. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, you can use that again. And I don't know if he played up the idea it wasn't canon because he had this brand new shiny show and he just didn't want people to think about the cartoon, you know, because in, in light of. TNG maybe it felt a bit silly I'm, I'm not exactly sure but he he went through a very brief period of like eh, no I don't really count that but everybody else did I mean it was worked in, in in all sorts of ways James Tiberius Kirk we got that from the animated series I mean these are Star Trek stories there is no doubt about that anytime I, I hear an animated series reference in one of the other series I like to point it out <laughs> just this is canon it's definitely canon which means there's a giant Spock somewhere. Yes, giant Spock. Intergalactic police force is canon. Also giant cats. Yes. Lots of cat people on the animated series. Aliens either look like, yeah, they look like humans, they look like cats, or they look like something entirely different. Dorothy is a huge cat person, so that, mm. that, that does actually make sense. Well, she used her influence in many, <laughs> many excellent ways then. Yes. <laughs> The thing that I think stops people from liking the animated series is this feeling that it's too silly or childish. And I don't know. I feel like you just have to embrace it. It's a brightly colored 70s cartoon. To me, I keep hearing this idea of what is Star Trek and like this, like Star Trek being just one all-encompassing thing. But Star Trek had the ability to be silly. That's one of the best things about it. And if you go into the animated series looking to have fun, you're going to have fun. I mean, I'm watching these episodes and I'm like, I can't believe how creative some of these concepts are. I mean, there's, some of them are just completely bonkers, off the wall, interesting. And I just I love that about the animated series. It was unencumbered by a lot of the baggage from the other series. It was just very bright and cool and fun more than anything it was fun yeah and they're also working with half the amount of screen time so i do think that they they managed to get into some topics that adults can find complexity in while kids can still appreciate in a half hour but i mean i think if you look at a lot of the live action shows and you maybe took just like the subplot out of that i think that you would find that like it wouldn't be sort of a dissimilar in terms of like humor and weight and the issues discussed. I mean, I would love to see TNG do an episode in which they have to defend the devil in a trial using magic. Instead of just a one where the devil tricks them and is secretly a con artist. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I just feel like that would have been a better episode. When when you see <laughs> Spock drawing out a pentagram, that's when you know your life is good. That is our next episode that we're actually talking about. Nice. Such a good episode. <laughs> so funny. 
Uhura was awesome. And I mean, I think David Gerald talks about this um, in interviews he's done about how um, he was a particular fan of Nichelle Nichols, but also really appreciated the opportunity to help her showcase her range. Uh, She obviously did a lot of the female voices, but Uhura we get to see in some super kind of badass scenes. Um, I was just rewatching Bem the other night, which is one where uh, this sort of weirdo green alien guy decides that he's going to just like run off on an away mission to a planet full of hostile Aboriginal people, which is not at all unproblematic. But taking that aside and just looking at Uhura's role in that episode, Scotty is really taking umbrage at the idea that they would follow Kirk's orders, even if it meant not interfering and rescuing him and Spock. And uh, uh, Uhura's just like, those are his orders and he would want us to follow them. And basically like argues Scotty down from that position. And that was super cool to see. Like the times when we see that happen in live action Star Trek, it's like Riker does that at one point. Like, sorry, we can't rescue the captain. Maybe more, more than one point. And Tuvok were the two kinds I could remember that. So it was people who were literally in charge of the ship at that moment. Yeah, Uhura in the animated series seems a little bit more, I don't know, like there's more weight behind her position. You know, she gets more to do and she's listened to more. She works in with Spock and all the other characters a lot more closely as well. There's kind of that, that teamwork that all of them kind of get paired off at times where it seems more realistic than it did on the original series. Yeah, and I I know we're going to talk about the Lorelei signal a bit more fully as an episode, but obviously she takes charge of the ship in that one, so that's pretty awesome. She's so great in that, where she just... Like, the the animation is not as detailed as you would think, but you can almost see, like, the sigh and the eye roll, (laughs) which is like, really, guys? Come on. And it's just so great. I also liked seeing her... Okay, so there's this episode, The Slaver Weapon, which is an interesting episode with uh, a race called the Gazinti, which basically are, like, evil space cats. In pink and purple spacesuits. I'm totally naming a future cat Kazinti. Yeah, definitely. That would be such a cool name for them. We talk about the pink and purple cats in, in the interview with Dorothy. She she apologized for them. <laughs> Is it true that it was the director was colorblind and that's why they're pink and purple? Yes. Yes! That's why he that's why He-Man has pink uh, clothing at times and per, all the different... Yeah, same person. That's my favorite tidbit. <laughs> But in that episode, that episode is basically Sulu, Uhura, and Spock. And that's it. And it's awesome. It's like the three of them go out on an adventure together. Now, Uhura has to damsel a bit. But still, like, it's still a cool episode. And it's still a different, it's a completely kind of different mix-up of people. And it's really cool to see the focus not be so solely on the big three. And it's kind of cool that she she damsels, but she she's doing it. She's faking it because it's the the other race believes that basically females of the species are what did they say dumb animals or something to that effect. And she was just like, hey, and Spock's like, no, 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 we don't think that these people do, and we can use that to your advantage, or you can use that to your advantage. Yet I love though that they put Spock on that as well because he's a vegetarian. 
They're like, vegetarians, no. Is this the one where Spock says, human females are intelligent? No, that, I thought that, that was one of the aliens who's saying, like, why would we kidnap her? And he goes, you fool. Oh, that's right. Human women are intelligent. Spock would never say that. What are we talking about? Just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Kazinti. Thanks for that compliment. But I, I think it's funny. Okay, so they have the the telepathic one who they describe as neurotic. He's like, you won't make me read their minds. Well, they're the plant eater and the female. And I just think that's such a weird connection. Like, vegetarians and women put them on the same plane. Oh, my gosh. They both <laughs> need to eat more steak. <laughs> I also just love the way that that one of the Kazinti is drawn. Like he he's got this like a uh, hangdog look for a cat, and it's really adorable. <laughs> yeah, because he's supposedly super neurotic. Because all of the telepaths are neurotic, so they drew him looking like he's hungover or something. <laughs> it's pretty great, <laughs> guys. The animated series is a gift. You need to unwrap it and enjoy it. There's no way most of this stuff could happen on live action. I mean, telepathic evil space cats. Really? Truly, that is the gift of animation, right? They could just easily draw stuff that they could never afford special effects for. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like we were, uh, another episode we wanted to talk about at some point, possibly now, was the Ambergris incident, the one with all the sea people. So cool. Yeah. Mer people, sea, sea creature babobs. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was going, there's no way this could have happened. That, like Spock and Kirk get given gills and uh, then have to convince the, the sea people to turn them back. And there's like an intergenerational feud. And there's 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 a couple cool women in there. That I don't feel like they get as much to do as some of the other episodes, but there's there's some cool women, mer women, mer mermaids. I can't say for sure they're maids. Um, the <laughs> the main uh, woman of the episode, I think her name is Ryla, if I'm remembering correctly. She is pretty cool. She defies her government to save them, and you know she's kind of the the leader on working with the air breathers. Yeah, that's true. It's just, it's a cool episode. And I just, I love the ideas. And I mean, there's no way you could have done live action of Spock and Kirk with gills in the ocean, hanging out with space mermen. Just whales for a little bit. (laughs) And even then was on a movie budget. That's true. Yeah, Ryla was uh, trying to get them to help her so she could uh, find the, what is it, the ancient city where they had the uh, the key to reversing the mutation, which caused them to be water breathers, so that the, the younger generation could explore the the above ground, if, or above, uh, on the land if they wanted. See, that's just such a cool concept to me. Well, I'm sure we're going to get enthusiastic again but before we get too enthusiastic we might need to talk about an episode that we addressed briefly in our muds episode that because we have to talk about chapel as one of the other main women characters this is the episode where she literally throws herself at spock (laughs) and then drugs him and then drugs him (laughs) oh christine oh that episode (laughs) This is from Vermin Disciple on Tumblr. The only TAS episodes that really stand out in my mind are Yesteryear, which I'm sure everyone will list as a highlight. 
the Lorelei signal, Uhura in command, female security officers, and in a bad way, Mud's passion. Mud's passion annoys me primarily because I think it does such a great disservice to Nurse Chapel, a character who, let's face it, was never that well served to begin with. In Plato's stepchildren, just before they're forced to kiss, Chapel says to Spock, for so long I've wanted to be close to you. Now all I want is to crawl away and die. Given how she reacted in that situation, I just can't see her reacting with anything but revulsion to the idea of dosing Spock with a love potion and, effect- and effectively negating his free will, no matter how besotted she is. Yep. Yeah, Mud's passion is the low point of the animated series for me. It's just such a disturbing concept. It kind of continues that disturbing concept from TOS, too. It's just that 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 and, and it was funny because as a kid the uh, harry mud and um the other guy that's kind of like harry mud oh cyrano jones yes yeah, cyrano jones like those sort of glued together in my head when i was a little kid i always thought they were the same person but uh i, I think harry mud is definitely much more slimy yeah well i mean they were supposed to be the same person if they hadn't been able to, if they had been able to get the mud actor back and then i guess they could get him back for the animated series I, I agree. I think it's it's a pretty low point, but I also think it's a low point for Chapel. I think she actually does get some better scenes in the rest of the animated series. There's definitely at least one sick bay scene where she you get her to see her doing nursing work, but I'm sure there's more than that, just in the ones I watched yesterday. And then she also gets to take a role in the Lorelei signal in like the all women crew. In the Terratin incident, she gets to fall into a tank full of water and almost drown. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it's the uh, the fish tank in sickbay with all their Dr. Flox's animals. <laughs> I mean, that's a thing, apparently. Dr. McCoy was just reading Dr. Flox's, you know, journals <laughs> from the Enterprise era, or the NX-01 era, and, uh, you know, he was just experimenting. I wonder if Sulu and uh, McCoy ever fight on, like, which ones get to keep the plant like animals. Like, as soon as McCoy finds out that Gertrude is actually, like, a carnivorous plant, he's like, might as well be an animal. I want this. That sounds like a thing McCoy would say. (laughs) It's just so, it's so hilarious. She just, like, falls in, and then she's just like, help, 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 for a really, really long time. (laughs) She didn't learn to swim, apparently. I don't think, that seems weird for Starfleet. uh, Yeah. It was it was pretty enjoyable for me. That made me laugh a lot. <laughs> I also love because okay, the reason they're in sick bay is because Sulu this time the console didn't explode at Sulu's face. This time Sulu just straight up fell off it. <laughs> in the, it makes the most amazing thud noise. She's like boom. I mean, you totally know that, like, after that for several weeks, that people were just making jokes, being like, "Oh, Sulu did." <laughs> You know what, though? Nothing is as ridiculous as the quick shot you see in Who Watches the Watchers of the guy literally jumping up on the the console so he can fall out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, look for it. (laughs) Okay, I have to. I thought you were going to say nothing's more ridiculous than Kirk is a jerk on the back of his shirt. No, that is fantastic. It's so fantastic. Yeah, I meant like ridiculous, amazing, because that's the whole premise of that episode. The... <laughs> that would be a great uh, uh, cosplay at Star Trek Las Vegas. I've seen someone, yeah, someone was doing that last year. 
but okay. I've, I have been rewatching this attempting to think of cool cosplays. Uh, one of the ones I have seen Morass done as well, who is one of the other Majel Barrett voiced characters we were going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Months later, I'm still not better at this. Have you been practicing? No. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> a little. Sarah doesn't want to admit that she she practices the morass voice once a week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, only only once a week. Sure. Another character that I was particularly admiring is Lara from the Jihad, partly because she has these amazing like three pronged eyebrows, but more importantly because she. Uh, she's a huntress. This is like this episode where um, this group of people, including Kirk and Spock, who are like experts from different alien races, are brought together to try to seek down or seek out this artifact that's been stolen that's going to be used to wage holy war on the universe. This particularly this one civilization of eagle people. <laughs> and uh, so Lara is basically right away is like, Kirk! Why don't you kiss me? I think you're super attractive. And <laughs> Kirk's just like, wow, gee, you're pretty forward. And she's like, why not? There's no men on my planet. When a woman likes a man, she says something. <laughs> she's amazing. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's really cool. It's, uh, it comes across as like a little uh, hilarious, but it, it's obviously was actually like a fairly cutting edge representation of, of women, especially compared to like some of the original series. And she's not, you know she's not like a damsel in any way no she's like super like a super tracker she's like she can she can find anything i think they were saying she has a perfect sense of direction apparently even when the computer goes like poofs i'm better than a computer we're going that way i love that she's so sexually aggressive i really really do i think it's amazing and it's also funny because kirk is like oh but I do think it's hilarious that at one point during the episode, after they just outrun a volcano, she's kind of just standing there. And she's like, okay, let's, you know, let's nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And he's like, um, maybe not now. And I'm like, you're literally like standing next to an active volcano in the middle <laughs> of a serious mission. She just wants to sneak off into the woods. She yeah. wants what she wants. <laughs> Personally, active volcanoes that might, you know, encase me in lava. Maybe that's her thing. <laughs> she wanted to make some green memories. You just have to, <laughs> that, that, that's what she said. This is another great example of how cool the aliens were on the animated series. There is no other series that has as cool of aliens. You've got the giant yellow bird man thing. And you've got like this little kind of like, he almost looks like a bug, like a big caterpillar who's really good at picking locks. Like what? I want to see that on on live action. I want to see that in the new movie. I want that bird man to swoop in in the middle of beyond. Just be like, hey. At minimum, I would totally make them my my squad in like a game of D&D. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that because they were bringing the one guy along for his lock picking ability. I'm like, this is like gaming. <laughs> it's uh Vidalin, Vedalin. How do you say the other character name? Vendalin? Vendalin? Uh, is that the cat badger? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the 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 woman that like put the whole expedition together 
she is like also kind of cat-like, but she's like hunched and her arms are like upside down almost. It's really hard to describe. Yeah. And she's got a sassy pink sweater. <laughs> and they're the people that can, uh, they at, uh, master uh, space and time basically. Cause they, at the end of this, the episode, they basically are sent right back to where it started before the, you know, they transported back to the enterprise. They're like, well, you were gone like two seconds. It's like, no, we, we did a whole adventure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you combined all the powers of woman, cat, and badger, you would come up with an alien that could control space-time. And uh, the bug creature, EM3 Green, is voiced by David Gerald. Ah, I'm glad. I, I assume that they did not draw it based on him, because David Gerald is no. much better looking <laughs> than that green bug guy. I don't think he was terribly happy with what he, his, the voice that he ended up coming up with, but... Uh, I but loved he, it. Yeah, I thought it was fun, but I guess he was like, eh, I, I would have done something different. It's like, I'm a coward. I know, I just I'm like... I'm so tired, mm. I can't go on. <laughs> it worked for Eeyore for a really long time. It really did. <laughs> I love it. He was very Eeyore-like, you're right. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't really talk about morass. So let's do it. Well, that I actually have not read them, but apparently in the novels, uh, both her and Eric's end up getting shot into the future. That's really interesting. I uh, was going to say, like, I saw her in some of the movie era comics um, as, like, still on the Enterprise. Like, in one of them, she seduces Sulu. Um, <laughs> like, not, like, he's really drunk. <laughs> um and it doesn't go anywhere like she's just hitting on him so it's not like a a, like violent storyline it's just that and she doesn't really know how drunk he is but anyway it's called uh, i actually believe it is in star trek bachelor party that's a thing yes it's it's just a comic book issue about a a bachelor party on the enterprise but it is as bad as it sounds but yeah i actually um so sorry Aaron. i totally distracted because i I did. No, that's okay. uh, I feel like I read a novel where they she was mentioned in like dialogue, but I didn't actually see her, and I was like, "What? That they just named someone after her?" And I had no idea it was the same person. I found it here. It says she appears again in several Next Generation and New Frontier novels, where she's depicted as serving aboard the USS Trident, named after gum, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> It was explained in the novels that a time anomaly brought her forth to the future. She appears over the course of several New Frontier books where she's involved in accusations of mental manipulation against a superior officer and is the suspect of the officer's late, later murder. Interesting. That's that's what it says. Well, cats are very murderous. It looks like Eric's did fine, but Mares was uh, suspected of murder, but then exonerated. Uh, they both ended up serving on the Trident under Captain Elizabeth Shelby. Fun fact. So, oh, that's a that's a winning. I mean, I would watch a series about Shelby and Morass. Definitely. That would be interesting. I wonder why they felt they had to send them forward in time. Maybe the authors just wanted to use these characters. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, yeah, Morass is only in six episodes of the animated series. Seems like more. Doesn't it? She has a presence. I thought it was really cool that they actually showed that Uhura wasn't like glued to that chair. That there was another person who could, who was like the the second person in uh, command of communications. Like Beta Shift, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was like, but I mean, she was just as as competent. It was just right. that she was, you know, Uhura can't be awake twenty four hours a day. It's just it's just not possible. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I think they show her in engineering from time to time as well, and not just at communications. Oh, I don't remember that. Possibly. Wikipedia says so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen some interesting things that Wikipedia says about the animated series that isn't quite correct either. So. They had at one point they said that uh, James Dewan was the one who did Sarek's voice, and yes, he did original looping, and then he came back and and they actually got Mark Leonard to do it, and even even uh, uh, Jim, James Dewan claimed that he had done the voice, and they kept trying to tell him it's like you did, but then we didn't use it, and we actually got the real guy. And he's like, no, no, that's me, and they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> so. So sometimes the information about the animated series is a little on the it sketchy side. It was the side. 70s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that is in the episode Yesteryear, which it has Amanda, Spock's mom. It is a great episode. We should talk about it a lot. Uh, well, you know, we've got Spock's mom, Amanda. You know, she she seemed to be really, like, hoping that Spock would take, like, the Vulcan way and I that was I thought that was curious but I don't know if that was because she just wanted to make it make it easier for him or I really like her in general can I just say that that I think Amanda is a great character yeah I agree and I I did I didn't think it was odd but it is interesting you're right I thought that Spock had grown up on Vulcan with like a very strong very firmly Vulcan father figure and Amanda had already it seemed like given up a lot of her like human life in order to uh, she still maintained her identity but she was living very firmly in Vulcan society so I thought that it made sense that that would be the easiest path and it would it didn't strike me as odd that she would want an easier path for her child or simpler maybe not easier you know, Kolinar is pretty tough. The road to Kolinar is paved with long walks through the desert and the death <laughs> of childhood pets. That's the same impression I always got of her as well. I almost wondered if uh, Spock went through Kolinar just because of, of some of the things that he went through in yesteryear with the, the death of uh, Aichaya. Just was sort of like, yeah. <laughs> Aichaya. Oh my gosh, imagine having a... Uh... A dog named Selah and a cat named Kazinti. <laughs> <laughs> Not Mares. No. Mares would always be trying to pick up my boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There was a very cool uh, Federation uh, scientist, though, in yesteryear. She was did had Majel Barrett's voice as well. And she was, I think, one of the... Since the, the pilot, she was, like, the first woman we saw with pants. Ah. Which is, like, really cool. I was like, okay. she. I mean, there probably were others. But it seemed like... I was like, oh, good. It's a, a person. She's a Federation scientist. She's running this... The exploration of, I believe it was, the Andorian past, which is where they were when things got messed up apparently and so she was the one who was in in charge and she had like this purple jumpsuit and so she was pretty cool yeah that's a good point i i noticed rewatching too that there were a lot i would say more than the uh, original series of just kind of random women crew members who still had like names and lines uh like in the eye of the beholder which is the one with the telepathic pink slugs that kidnap them and put them in a zoo the uh away team from the ship that they're rescuing is like two women and a man and uh the man is in charge but the woman like or the scientist and the security chief or something so that was cool 
There's also a, a Klingon woman in the time trap. That's just kind of like, it's not really a big deal that she's a woman. It's not a plot point of any kind. She just, it appears to be just a regular crew member for the Klingons. But she's pretty badass looking. Very 70s, uh, Pam Greer sort of Klingon. The time trap is an interesting episode anyway, because, okay, so this is the one where there's like kind of like a Bermuda Triangle in space type deal is that there's this place where they keep losing all of these ships and the Klingons almost catch Kirk there and he runs him and another Klingon ship get like, I guess sucked into or go into another reality or galaxy or something. And it's like Voyagers the void. Yes. (laughs) And they, um, they have like this council of a bunch of different races that make their decisions and their laws and stuff. And there are some cool women there. There's an Orion woman. I think her name is Dana, kind of the spokesperson for the whole of the council. And she's pretty cool. And then they also have a telepath named Magna. She's like Troy before Troy. I sense shenanigans. The Klingons are sabotaging the enterprise and such. It's a cool episode. I liked it. And it was cool to see also a a Klingon woman in the animated series. Rocking the pink. Another one of my favorites, um, just of animated series generally, is uh, the counterclock incident. This is the one where Robert April and his wife, who is also the first chief medical officer of that enterprise, or was pre- pre-McCoy chief medical officer and uh so her name's Sarah April she has a plant it's dying then everyone goes back in time and the plant grows back and everyone else turns into children and uh I I thought it was really cool because to this point we hadn't yet seen Pulaski and Crusher and so Sarah April shows that um you could be not just chief medical officer, but she's portrayed as like a brilliant scientist who invented all these things that revolutionized Starfleet medicine. So I I thought that that was pretty cool. We did have a a critique from Twitter that I think is fair, which was from Alan, who said, Dr. April was horribly portrayed at the end. Her husband decided they should both return to old age instead of reliving life. So I think he was arguing that she didn't have a say in that. Uh, but I didn't really see that. I guess maybe I was contrasting a bit with the, what's the super old Dr. Mark Jameson TNG? So he wasn't like, you have no say in this and I'm saying what I say goes and we're going back to being old because that is the way that things should be. <laughs> I will never get tired of Jared's old man voice. <laughs> Clearly, my talent was wasted <laughs> not being on the original ser- or the animated series. I kid. <laughs> I mean, I still see what he's saying. Like they, they. So what happens is basically they're older and they get de-aged, I guess, to be young. And she's like, "Hey, we could live our lives again, and you know, have a second chance at life." And he's like, "Nah." Eh, why was why was what he wanted more important than what she wanted i guess but it's not it's not quite as because their brains are running backwards and they'll soon forget everything they know no but they were gonna leave that place and then it would have stopped oh 
they yeah. use the transporter to to fix that. But yeah, I mean, I personally would have been like, yeah, second life, let's do this. But maybe she was just bored of him. <laughs> he was just bored. Her and he's like, look, I cannot take another life with you. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but um, I mean, I can see a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to go back. But I I didn't really see it so much that way. Because I think it's important to know that at the beginning of the episode, he's basically being forced into retirement. And this is like his last hurrah, this mission he's going on. And because of his success in this mission, they allow him to stay on. And she never seemed displeased with that she, the fact that she had already retired and she was kind of hanging out with him while he went on ambassadoring. So I think, I don't know, I took it to be that she knew he was having issues with aging earlier on and was sort of asking him out of concern. And then he was making the decision because he had had the one who was had the most problem with being old in the first place. There's also Carla Five, who's a cool alien commander and has parents who are grandparents who are babies yeah i cannot wrap my mind around the concept of this episode like aging backward i don't get that it's very very uh mork and mindy <laughs> it's it's mork from orc i was gonna totally. say it's very star trek voyager season two or three. <laughs> oh, i won't yeah. tell any what episode <laughs> or what characters are involved only to say the plot device is reused there's so much no at the beginning of this episode, they're being pulled into a supernova. No, not a thing. <laughs> I think this is one of Sue's patented science critiques. I think they went, they went warp thirty-two. That made them be able to go right through. Oh the my nova gosh! Into... And then they go through the supernova. Also, no, because there's <laughs> there's no transphasic shielding yet, and into a universe where time runs backwards are you kidding me i think i'm gonna make a uh sound cue based on the maybe it can be the da 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 and that'll be when sue goes into a science rant <laughs> we should do a super cut of sue's science and grammar rants there haven't been like that three. many of them they're one of my favorite things though, they sue. are it could be its own podcast. <laughs> well, the the rant for this episode is just no. Like everything you say about the counterclock incident, just follow it up with a no. Not a thing. Sue's science corner. <laughs> I'll actually have to brush up on my science and make sure I'm right. I, I think you're probably right about not being able to fly into a supernova. No, that's definitely. I mean, you could. You'd just die. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did kind of like the reverse uh, uh, galaxy or the uh, universe on the other side, where it was the the white space with the black yeah, stars and stuff like that. that that's was kind visually of... gorgeous, and like even like the Enterprise flying backwards, which could have otherwise just looked like <laughs> silly, it actually looked really, I thought, kind of gorgeous. Yeah. If it hadn't been a supernova, I would I would have been able to suspend my disbelief. <laughs> like the the idea of going through a black hole, even though not possible, is a science fiction trope. Right, I can deal with it. You can't go through a supernova. <laughs> a supernova <laughs> is an exploding star. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and that's been your episode of Sue's Science Corner. <laughs> you can't go through a black hole either. You just get compressed by all the gravity. You become very flat. But first you get spaghettified, which is a real word and a real thing that happens. Spaghettification. Look it up. It's amazing. 
gonna have nightmares about that. It's even worse than Alfarian hair pasta. So are you going to talk about uh, the uh, somewhat more problematic Anne Norred <laughs> from The Survivor? Hi, Captain. I think that's my fiancé. Is that my fiancé? He's so different. I still love him. I know it's not him, but I'm so confused. <laughs> So what we're referencing is the episode, The Survivor, which is actually a pretty cool episode. I dig it. It's um, this episode where they pick up this guy and he's like this lost philanthropist that has been apparently kicking around the galaxy and then disappeared mysteriously. And lo and behold, his fiance is on board and she works in security, which is pretty cool. We don't get to see very many women security officers. Um, She's not a very good one. But then it turns out that it's not him. It's a Vendorian, which is like a shapeshifter that looks like a space octopus. And it's awesome. And he runs around the ship in a banana yellow suit and shifts into octopus form every once in a while. My favorite moment from that episode is when he takes out Kirk and instead of like leaving him on the ground, he like cradles him gently in his tentacles and tucks him into bed. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. If I had tentacles, definitely. <laughs> but Ann Norad is the name of the, the security officer, and she is just, she's a, she's interesting. She seems to be surprisingly okay with the fact that her fiance is dead and that she's apparently going to hook up with the guy who looks like him and has stolen his identity. But all right. And is an octopus virus. Yeah. She's also sort of frozen into in, in action whenever he's around. Just like, you know, like, okay, you're a security officer. Capture him. Uh, him. I'm sorry. I just couldn't do it. I know that I should, but I just can't. I'm like, come on, girl. Phaser him. That's not your fiance. And even if it was, he's up to shenanigans. Stun. Stun is. Yeah, you don't have to kill him. Just zap him. Yeah, but it's still a good episode. It's still fun. But the Romulan commander in this episode is so over Kirk that it's so great. Kirk, it's not deliberate. And the Romulan commander is just like, it never is. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I'm done with you. It's so great. It's a good episode. I recommend it. And that is one that Aaron and I talked about on Saturday Morning Trek, if you want to hear more of Ann Norad voice. <laughs> Amazing. I was just going to let her do that all day. It was like, okay, you can just run with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do we have anything else before we do Lorelai Signal? I think that would make sense to end on. I got to talk to Aaron about Lorelai Signal on Saturday morning track. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I had a comment from Bailey Sue on Tumblr. This is on my Trekkie Feminist Tumblr. We don't have our own Tumblr yet, but if there are lots of Tumblr users who want us to, then let us know. And so Bailey Sue says... The Lorelei signal, rightfully in my opinion, throws the bit in Turnabout Intruder where women can't be in command in the garbage. It has the fundamental problem of making me wonder why the inhabitants of the planet hadn't left when half their species was dying out. Star Trek is overrun with habitable worlds, after all. Sirens and the like are one of the oldest bits of sexist fantasy ever. Evil women who lure men in with beauty, then suck their souls out, appear in a billion mythological-slash-fictional-slash-RPG variants. Here, though, it's counterbalanced by having the women of the Enterprise as the cavalry, but only somewhat. A good showcase for Uhura and Nurse Chapel, who get more to work with here than usual. Look, this episode is 
pretty good. I am. I, I like it. There are some problems. It's all washed away by the fact that the climax of this is Kirk slowly drowning in a big vase. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the best oh. things that's ever happened on Star Trek. He just kind of flails gently. From death headbands. <laughs> Just take off the headbands. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get it. Like, they, they get back on the ship, and Chapel just walks over and takes off their headbands. Like, just take off your headbands. There were pretty ladies everywhere. How were they supposed to keep their heads? No, the thing that frustrates me about this a little bit is that Uhura is taking charge, and she's like, assemble this team. But then we hear nothing of this team that she's assembled until one of the guys down on the planet calls up to the ship and says, assemble and send down this team. And that's when we see them in the transporter room. Like, she should be saying back to them, I already have, and we're on our way. Like, I got this. But, you know, she's she's in command sort of by default. And... That's the thing that's a little bit frustrating to me. Not because she's the next in command of the ship, but because she's the highest ranking woman on the ship. She does a great job, though. She does do a great job. And I I just, I'll not, I love the visuals of all of the women from the Enterprise just leaping into the fray with their phasers. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so, that part is super enjoyable. I mean, the whole thing is enjoyable. I just start, I cringe. I'm just like, I am Fila, the head female. <laughs> By the way, I made Grace a tr that says head female, and I'm bringing it to Star Trek Las Vegas. Yes. Also, I refuse to call her anything but Zoot. Dad, <laughs> naughty Zoot. <laughs> and she also um, has the whole thing where she explains how uh, so they're like this race of basically sirens that came about because a race of regular humanoids le- crash landed on a planet or they didn't even crash land. So that is a good point that they, it's not explained why they couldn't have left because they just say we came to this planet when our home world began to die. Um, but they said the, the women's bodies developed a glandular secretion, enabling them to survive and manipulate certain areas of the male's brains influence their no. emotional senses ultimately it drained the man causing them to weaken and die <laughs> no no yeah this is more of sue science corner no <laughs> no i don't know i mean i don't like to talk a lot about glandular secretions i'm like <laughs> <laughs> all right wesley i don't know which is <laughs> wow but i'm pretty sure they can't do that but they're aliens so who knows glandular secretion that makes you a stereotype i mean no (laughs) (laughs) but can we can we briefly just talk about kirk and and how clueless he becomes like immediately where are all the men they're in another compound oh that makes sense <laughs> how how does that make sense uh, but they're pretty sue that's the point i think that ah, kirk okay. had already been to angel one <laughs> <laughs> i think they're related somehow also i checked and i was wrong jordy is the one who likes to talk about glands it's wesley that's a little weirded out <laughs> ah, glandular secretion <laughs> thanks star trek Aaron made a lovely International Women's Day graphic of TAS characters, 
I think we hit most of them, but there may be a couple that we've missed. <laughs> I think I, I tried to pull the ones out that were were the the more interesting or or at least main main focused or more focused. You could talk about the uh, the floozy that uh, Sulu conjured out of nowhere in Magic to Megas too. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh i love i love uhura she's like good luck <laughs> <laughs> it's like and here's sulu's imaginary dream woman <laughs> ha, ha. <laughs> that was hilarious of course then it turned into the you know shirtless uh buff uh devil character so that was kind of funny since it was sulu <laughs> lucian i love his weird arms <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like uh. <laughs> jazz hands jazz yeah. hands at all times <laughs> yeah friend kirk <laughs> <laughs> there were only 22 episodes so th- there wasn't a whole i mean i think we've covered quite a few people for the the time period in fact i i did like that uh that dc fontana was you know always really trying for diversity and for gender equality and for the time i think she probably got as best as she could i mean they and and even filmation that was run by three guys they were they were like no you cannot get rid of these three characters when they were having a lot of money uh, a lot of issues with uh, money uh, along with leonard nimoy they were the ones who were like if we get rid of these people we lose our diversity so mm-hmm. once once they realized that they were like okay when well, we they, they readjusted the budget and kind of moved things around and that's uh overall i think the animated series does a decent job with women we have a, a lot of different types of women and a lot of different, like, not just different alien races. I mean, different personality types as well. Yeah, I would, I would uh, one I just thought of that we didn't mention, though, is uh, Majel as the uh, Practical Joker computer voice, ah. which is similar to the episode where the ship is repaired by women of the original series in the terms of, like, it's that playful voice. But in this one, she's not flirting. She's actually kind of like evil uh, evil prankster i thought that that was pretty fun well maybe she just got tired of you know people asking her to make coffee and move the ship and do all sorts of stuff and it was just sort of yeah the thing about trek that i think is it goes unnoticed unless you really start looking at it is that when they're out exploring and meeting new races in general they're almost always meeting the men first Mm mm-hmm and that's not the case in the animated series, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I totally agreed. And comparing the animated series to other cartoons in the era, it's like light years ahead. It's just, you know, you, you other things that were on at the same time, like Hong Kong Fui, which is just, uh. you know, have race issues. Uh, you've got I Dream of Genie as an animated thing with a teenager, teenage boy who has Genie to oh, do I his bidding. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> like, I remember seeing seeing that play again. Oh, my gosh. So there was just there was a lot of uh, and you know Josie and the Pussycats, which actually were were actually fairly progressive, I think. Um, but you still had just just the general seventies issues. It's like oh, they were the you know damsel in distress, and and you know you you obviously had, had there were exceptions to the rule, but I, I think that Star Trek was really really ahead in the of the game in that sense. So that was kind of cool. So the moral of this podcast is watch the animated series. And enjoy. And there'll be a new Blu-ray coming out in the fall, so or the winter, at least. Um, it's only 11 hours. Yeah, it's definitely worth your time. Right, 22 episodes? 
half an hour, less than half an hour each. Yeah. If you binged on Orange is the New Black recently, you have time to watch the animated series. <laughs> well, you can also put in like one or two just, you know, while you're doing something and, and kind of, you know, if you're working, have them watch a couple and watch a couple later. You know, you can, you can, they can be nibble bite-sized ones. They're actually, they, they go down nicely. <laughs> and then go listen to Saturday Morning Trek. I was not going to plug my own show, but yes. <laughs> Aaron also designed our amazing uh, Pulaski Bang Dryker's Dad shirts. So Hashtag never forget. Yeah. <laughs> we are eternally grateful. We may have to do some sort of animated series shirt. Yes. <laughs> we could do something with, uh, with Ann Norrid. <laughs> We could somehow have like <laughs> I don't know how you... the voice just sort of runs off in the type. But I don't understand. Sue's Science Corner has been brought to you by the letter A. No, and the number three. <laughs> well, it was great talking about the women of the animated series today, but it's just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek FM network recently. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Ready Room. The DNA of Star Trek fandom, and I've said it before, fandom existed, fandom enjoyed the show, but the main charge of fandom was to get the damn thing back. To the journey! He tweets out, you know, like, hey, walking around with my mobile emitter, you know, hashtag blessed. You know, it's just, <laughs> I'm sure that's what he's doing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yep, yep, he's, uh... He's taking photos of his holographic non-dinner. Warp 5. The Romulans had their ship in Season 4 that had the holograms mm -hmm. that made it look yeah. like any other ship. So you could theoretically retcon Minefield into saying they were using that same technology back then. Women at Warp. Admiral Alan Alda came to visit Captain Coretta Scott King. <laughs> and meanwhile, morale officer Beyonce is uh, trying to deal with her new Weasley sweater. And <laughs> they're all partying at the first contact party. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running. So once you're done with the show, again, please consider hopping over to patreon.com slash trekfm. So Aaron, where can everybody find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at GeekFilter, and that's also sort of my username for Instagram and Dribble, and you can find me in the Facebook listeners group, the Babel Conference for Trek FM. Dribble is the uh, dedicated listener group for Tribbles. <laughs> you can also find Aaron's artwork in the Trek FM store or uh, on We Love Fine because he is the winner of the 50th anniversary t shirt design contest. All right, so Andy, where can people find you? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting my first time through Star Trek. Jarrah? You can find me on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin, that's J A R R A H Penguin, or I'm on Tumblr at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Speltor, that's S P A L T O R, or over at anomalypodcast.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye.